0: Thank you, A-team of the music team, if you get an opportunity to say something to someone that you've seen up here singing or doing uh, instruments the last few weeks, Christmas is an exhausting time for them, and we very much appreciate the work that they put in. Amen? So, uh, welcome. If you don't know me, my name is Steve I'm on the preaching team here at Hollis Center Church, and on the elder team as well. And I, with you, am happy to see blue sky for the first time in a week. Those that aren't here, I'm sure they're at the beach today. All right. A uh, quick word. Um, boy, a lot of things we say seem so trite, but our loss, heaven's gain. We lost our dear Natalie this week. And boy, I was chatting with Margie and what a joy it is to know where she is. And uh, we have an opportunity to celebrate this Friday. Look for more notes. And for those of you that are here, look for opportunities to serve. They'll be coming. But um, we don't mourn as those who have no hope. Amen. New Year's Eve, 2023. Here we are. David. I thought, did just a fantastic job with the series of Christmas sermons, um, especially since I didn't have to preach them. Um, but I, I really, it was, it was a privilege to, to hear his, his take on, on some of those things. It was great. But it's New Year's Eve now. Christmas is in our rearview mirror. The date, for those of you that want to know, if you write it in MMDDYY, it's 123123 today. That doesn't mean anything. Um. but well, there you go, that was in my notes, um, all right, here's a question, do you cry at movies, keep your hand down if you cry at movies, see, I thought so, I thought so, think of some examples, It's weird, we got such a multi-generational church, I'm going to say some movies and, or, and no one will know it. And Anyway, Rudy, you know the movie Rudy? If you've seen the movie Rudy and you didn't cry when he finally got accepted to Notre Dame, you're a monster, okay? It's just that emotion that wells up and you're sitting there with people around you. For those of you who don't know Rudy, Hawkeye and Black Widow in Endgame of Avengers, okay? The 10 of you that want to not remember Rudy. Uh, but I have a really, really vivid memory of this going down at my house once, and I wanted to share it with you. And, it, and, it, and you say, well, Steve, how does it, it will, it'll apply, don't worry about it. I had a really good friend in college, her name was Kim, and she was a social work major. We became really good friends. And then after college, I came to Maine. And um, kudos to her. She was working with AIDS patients in Indianapolis in a time where that was really, really difficult. But she wanted a vacation, wanted to come out to Maine because she lived in the Midwest where everything's terrible. And she wanted to come out to Maine. She brought her friend with her to come visit Lori and I. And her other her friend's name was Kim, too. And it just so happened that it was summer, and I had two other friends from college that came. So my house was just full of people that came to visit, to see Maine, because they were in the Midwest where everything's terrible. Um, and so we sat down to watch a movie. We watched a movie on this thing called a VHS player. I don't know if you guys have heard of that. Okay. Google it if you, um, if you, if you need to see a picture or whatever. And the movie that we watched, you, you may or may not remember it, was a movie Mel Gibson was in. It's called Man Without a Face. Can we get some nods? Maybe? No? Anyway, I'll tell you the story. Man Without a Face was a story about this kid who's struggling with learning, and there was a man down the street who had, had his face damaged in an accident, and the kid who's trying to get into the military academy finds out that this guy down the street was a teacher, and he goes to ask him for help, and... They wind up creating just a, a wonderful bond between the two of them. But there's a whole bunch of people that don't really like this guy because they think things happened that didn't really happen. And it all got messy and terrible. And the guy had to leave. And Norstat, the kid, just was really sad that he was gone. And it all comes to a close toward the end where Norstat actually graduates from the military academy. And he's just like, oh, wow, this is so great. And the teacher that helped him showed up. And he saw him in the crowd. He looked like this. And if your eyes were dry, again, you're a monster. But listen, so you know how that is when you're all sitting next to each other and you're like, er, just, yeah, you know, you're doing, you know what I'm talking about, okay? Well, my friend Kim's friend, Kim, that came, started crying. He started crying, like crying. And she she got a little embarrassed and she got up and did the worst thing you could do. She went into the bathroom and just started bawling, which made the volume of her crying 10 times louder. And the five or six of us who sit in the living room just started dying, laughing, right? In this tender moment, she's in there literally breaking down, having some kind of a panic attack, and we're all dying laughing. Okay, I share this Story. Because a bunch of people just discovered that that Kim was a huge softy. Maybe to an unhealthy, unstable level. Maybe. I mean, it was was a lot. I don't know. But it's something she wanted hidden. It's something she wanted hidden. And so I, I share this to give us a sense of what is true about all of us. There are things about us we don't want people to know. We want everyone to think we're perfect. We do. We want everyone to think that we always make the right decisions. All the time and that everything always works out for us. That's what we want people to think. And yet we know that's not true. We know we are full of weakness Full of half-truths, of selfishness, of self-centeredness. And yet the one who made us knows us best and sees everything that we want hidden. We are known. And so I've titled today's sermon, Known and Loved? Right, the question marks are for effect. Really? I mean, you know me and you love me? Well, we're going to be in Psalm 139, the first few verses of that beautiful psalm today. And we're going to spend some time in a couple other passages as well. We're going to spend some time in the greatest book of the Bible, Romans. You want to argue with me about that? I'd love to. Um, But the question marks are just for us to be a bit amazed at the reality that God knows us. And, loves us. and so the point I want us to dig into today, and I want us to dwell on today as we head into a new year, I figure this is as good a truth for us to focus on as, as anything, is the fact that God knows every detail about us might be terrifying. Jesus makes it a delight. We're going to see how well God knows us. We're gonna see the incompatibility that exists between us and him, a God that knows us completely. And we're gonna see that because of Jesus, we're loved even though we're fully known. We'll take a moment to think about what God calls us because God gives us our identity, not us, and not those around us. And so if you're new to the Bible, if you're new to Jesus, I would pray that today's time will help you understand the depth of God's love for you. That's what I would pray. And may it be something that you lean into hard as we start a new year. If you're not new to Jesus, I hope that today's time will be a time where you commit to resting in the relentless love God has for you. And so let's look first at how well we are known. And so for, for many of you, Psalm 139 is very familiar. It is my wife's favorite psalm, favorite passage of the Bible, bar none, because it is just a beautiful piece of God's Word, of literature, of prayer. It is, it's just beautiful. And so we're going to just bang through the first few verses and just get a sense when, when we talk about God knowing us, what does the Bible say about what God knows about us? Verse one of Psalm 139. "O oh Lord, you have searched me and known me." That's a little scary. It is. And so God has already searched us. And unlike us, when we search and we look at other people, He's thorough, He's honest and he's fair. He knows us better than we know ourselves. The word there, searched, means to examine thoroughly, not just a casual glance or a cursory look, rather a complete examination. And in combination with that, known means to be known by experience. Not secondhand knowledge, but knowledge gained by being with us. He's searched us. And he knows us. And this possibly, probably it does. It brings a twinge of fear. Everything, really, everything? Well, it shouldn't. And we're going to find out more about that as we go. Verse two You know when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. And so knowing whether we sit or stand up can be accomplished just by looking. But here it's a total, constant, ongoing observation of us. And the second half of this verse, discerning my thoughts again. Scary. In that case, mere observation isn't going to work. It's something much deeper. It's more personal. He discerns my thoughts. Verse three. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with most of the stuff that I do. All my ways. You can see where I go. You see when I lie down. Familiar with all my ways. It means that God has intimate knowledge of our way of life, our decision-making, and our moral character. It gets even deeper. Verse 4, even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. And so we see he doesn't already just know that what we've already done, he knows what we're gonna do, he knows what we're gonna say. My friend, we're sum up this section of the sermon by just making sure you understand. You are known. You are known. There is no detail whatsoever that God doesn't understand, even about today, about yesterday, or tomorrow. You are known. Okay? We are also incompatible. Let's talk about what that means. 1 John 4.8 tells us pretty simply God is love. Okay? And so I want us to grab a hold of that just for a minute. And so when John put that in his epistle, he's not just talking about a quality that God possesses. He's making a statement about the core, about the essence of God's being. And so when we hear God is love, warm, fuzzy feelings, we no, we got to get deeper than that. We've got to understand really what's going on there. It's not simply that God loves. That makes us happy. God is love. And so what helps to understand, uh, understand that is when we look at the Scripture and we see that God is revealed as the Trinity. Three persons, one God. Let me explain all of that to you. No, I'm kidding. We're never going to fully grasp the concept of the Trinity, but we can grasp that at the heart of God is relationship and love. Is this interrelationship of love. Love flows between the three persons constantly. Every single activity of God expresses the love that is God's nature. The Father loves the Son. The Son loves the Father. The Spirit loves the Son, and so on. God is love. God loves within his own being because it's his nature to love. Perfect loving relationship. Perfect loving relationship that is god that is not us perfect loving relationship does not describe us and so if you're here today and you believe that on your own you are compatible with god Think about the reality of perfect, loving relationship. The Bible is quite clear that on our own, we fall short of that. We fall short of the glory of God represented by perfect, loving relationship. And so, a couple verses to look at. Let's take a look at what the Bible says about this incompatibility. Verses 9 and 10 of Jeremiah 17. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Verse 10, I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. This is a very familiar Old Testament passage because it says so well and describes so well the incompatibility we have with loving, perfect relationship. When we think about perfect, loving relationship and we see this, we see that our hearts are far from that standard. Do you realize what this says? It says that the most deceitful thing in the world is our heart. In the whole world, you can't look anywhere else and find anything more deceitful than my heart. It's desperately thick and it confuses us. Before we get to the next verse, I want to just talk briefly about Romans 1. Uh, many of you, if you sit down you start to read Romans 1, you're like, wow, this is a bit of a drag, um, because it is. It's actually explaining to us what we are like without Christ. And Romans 1 explains that what's happened is people come to earth, they're here, and they don't see God behind the earth. And when they don't see God behind the earth, it creates massive problems, When you look at this world and you don't see God behind it, there will be problems. And Paul explains that God's judgment for ignoring that God is there, his judgment for that is letting people have their way. As you read Romans, you'll see he used the term, God gave them over, God gave them over, God gave them over. He just said, okay, that's his judgment. And if you haven't thought about God's judgment that way, I challenge you to jump into Romans and chase it a little farther. But once they have their way, as Paul says, they gave, gave them over, he describes what it looks like in a few verses. Chapter 1 of Romans, verses 29 through 32. I'll see if I can do this in one breath. No, I'm kidding. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but they give approval to those who practice them. Okay, so this is some serious incompatibility between perfect, loving relationship. And the heart of man. And so what do we do? Well, we try to be better. Just do better. Don't disobey your parents so much. Don't slander as much. Don't be dumb as much. Right? Don't boast as much. Right? You can, okay, try to be better? What does that do? It doesn't change this list at all. And to give you an additional step in the brief overview of Romans here, chapter 2, Paul says, okay, you want to do better. Paul says, take any system you want. Any system you want. Let's go ahead and use your conscience. How you doing? Are you following that perfectly? Nope. How about the law? Are you following that? Nope. What about judging people? Do you do that? Nope. So Paul in chapter 2 just goes, sorry, doing better is not an option. It's not going to help at all. Nothing that we can accomplish on our own clears up the incompatibility. And so Romans 3 begins the explanation of how we are loved. This is our next section. God knows us. There is a real incompatibility. We've just covered those two points. We do not have the righteousness of God. We just don't. He is perfect love and relationship. We are a mixed up mess of selfishness and pride and broken relationships. The book of Romans shows us how the incompatibility is cleared up and it is not about becoming better people. Please hear that. Romans 3, verses 21 to 22. But now, the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Any system you think you could follow, the righteousness of God has been made known, has been manifested apart from it. Although the law and the prophets, capital L, capital P, the Old Testament, bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. These two verses shine like a beacon out of your Bible to shut anyone up that believes that the law or your behavior makes you right with God. The righteousness of God has been manifested and that's made known is what the NIV says. That's how we see it, but it's apart from the law. The righteousness is given to us. And in these two verses, the incompatibility is cleaned up. The incompatibility is cleared up. How? Ending the idea that you have what it takes. That you have what it takes and believing that Jesus has done it for you, that's what faith is. Ending the idea that you have what it takes. You do not. Unless you are able to represent perfect, loving relationship, you don't have what it takes. Believing that Jesus has done it for you, that's faith. In chapter 4 of Romans, Paul explains that even Abraham, it wasn't about him following any set of rules either. It was about his faith. It was about his believing in God. It's a great chapter, amazing um, apologetic for that. In chapter 5, Paul begins by explaining that this faith, stopping trusting in ourselves, believing that Jesus has done it for us, gives us peace with God. It takes care of the incompatibility. Right? Romans five one beautiful verse. And then Paul explains the depth of God's love for us in verses 7 and 8. A couple of my favorites for sure. Paul says this, and it's maybe why I like it so much is because it just doesn't sound very churchy. It doesn't. Paul goes, you know what? One will scarcely die for a righteous person. Though maybe, perhaps, for a good person, one would dare to die. Paul stops that thought and says, but, but God's love for you, <laughs> he loved you when you were worthless. There was no righteousness or goodness in you. God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You want to get a good understanding of righteous and good. Let me, let me use an example. Let's say you've got a landlord. A landlord that follows all the rules and does everything they're supposed to will make sure the rent's on time, and when it's not, you're out. Everything's fine. Everything's right. Everything's followed. Everything's done. A good landlord, when you can't come up with the money, will flex with you and will try to be kind and work with you. And so this righteous person is one, follows all the rules. Guess what? Most folks aren't going to die for that kind of person, but maybe if you're a nice guy, maybe if you're someone that is kind, that does, the people are affectionate toward, maybe. Maybe. While we were still sinners, though, Christ died for us. John Piper says the price of the gospel is the death of the most glorious person that has ever and will ever exist the price of resolving the massive incompatibility between us and God was the death of Jesus. While we were still sinners, he knows us. He knows what we are. He knows who we are. He knows what we think. And he still, and he still died for us. That's what these verses say. He still did it, even after he knew. We are known for what we are and loved. You say, well, how does that happen? In 2 Corinthians, Paul explains further how that incompatibility is resolved. Chapter 5, verse 21, he says, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The sinless one became sin And as a result, the incompatibility between us and God is gone when we put our trust in the sinless one who became sin for us. And we become the righteousness of God. That is ridiculous. That is full-on ridiculous. And if you're new to this church at all and you believe that we care about a whole bunch of things, there's only one thing we care about. We care about the gospel and the ridiculous truth that we are the righteousness of God because of what Jesus did for us, amen? Wow, it's ridiculous and it's the only way. And so if you're here today, And if you think that you have what have it in you to fix what's wrong between you and God, may you lean hard into actually figuring out if that's true. Because I'm telling you it's not. You do not have it in you. The only way things between me and God are fixed is this verse right here. This is the only way. And when we have... Believed in Jesus, the incompatibility is gone. And Jesus calls us friend, okay? This is what's madness. Jesus knows us and still calls us friend. I've got some slides I want you to noodle on. If you're taking notes and you don't get it, check out the live stream later. In 1 Thessalonians 1.4, he calls you chosen. What a crazy mystery there is in that. Let me explain that to you in a couple minutes. No, but he calls you chosen. In Ephesians 2.10, he calls you his masterpiece. He calls you his art. You're handmade, purposed, and fashioned for good things. In 1 Corinthians 6.19, he calls your body a temple. The residence of the Holy Spirit. What? In Acts 1.8, he calls you his messenger to the world. In Galatians 3.26, he calls you his child in John 8:36 and spend some time with this he calls you free he calls you free free indeed in 2 Corinthians 5:17 he calls you brand new how many of us feel brand new after the holidays we don't he calls us brand new and in Romans 5:8 which we already looked at, he calls you greatly loved. And it's amazing how different these names are from the names you usually hear. Either that you call yourself or that others call you. So I want to take us back to Psalm 139, verse verse 6, after the psalmist talks about how God hems us in and cares for us Psalm 139 verse 6, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I can't attain it. It is too wonderful. Too wonderful. It's unattainable to actually understand. Wow. take us back to the point we wanted to make today the fact that god knows every detail about us might be terrifying jesus makes it a delight how because we are loved even though we're known we are loved even though we're known. Keegan and Sydney and Marissa can come up. <laughs> I get to do them by name today. That's cool. I figured I would let Brennan Manning, who has written so amazingly about the love of God, take us out of 2023. So I have an excerpt from one of his sermons. If you haven't read any of his books, I would challenge you to. Ragamuffin Gospel is probably one of his most famous, but he is just one who presses into the love of God for us so well and shows us from the Bible how much we are loved. And so I don't have it on the screen. So if you would, with me, bow your head. And listen to this section of sermon. I want you to just not be distracted and see if you can, can, can internalize what Brandon Manning says in just this short excerpt from his sermon. Let's bow our heads and listen to this. He says, the compassion of Jesus is the compassion of Almighty God. And Jesus says to your heart and to your mind, don't ever be so foolish as to measure my compassion for you in terms of your compassion for one another. Don't ever be so silly as to compare your thin, pallid, wavering, moody, depending on smooth circumstances, human compassion with mine, for I am God as well as man. When you read in the Gospels that Jesus was moved with compassion, it is saying that his gut was wrenched, his heart torn, open, and the most vulnerable part of his being laid bare. The ground of all being shook, the source of all life trembled, the heart of all love burst open, and the unfathomable depths of the relentless tenderness of Jesus was laid bare. Your Christian life and mine don't make any sense unless in the depth of our beings we believe that Jesus not only knows what hurts us, but knowing, seeks us out, whatever our poverty, whatever our pain. His plea to his people is, come now, wounded, frightened, angry, lonely, empty, and I'll meet you where you live. And I'll love you as you are, not as you should be, because you're never going to be as you should be. Do you really believe this? With all the wrong turns you made in your past, the mistakes, the moments of selfishness, dishonesty, and degraded love, do you really believe that Jesus Christ loves you? Not the person next to you, not the church, not the world, but that he loves you. Beyond worthiness and unworthiness, beyond fidelity and infidelity, that he loves you in the morning sun and in the evening rain without caution, regret, boundary, limit. No matter what's gone down, he can't stop loving you. This is the Jesus of the Gospels. We are known and we are loved. Dear Heavenly Father, so often we do, we, we take this book that you've given us And we'll beat ourselves with it. We'll beat others with it. We just want to behave better. Lord, thank you for the reminder today. You know every single fiber of our being, every thought we've ever thought, every thought we are ever going to think, every stupid thing we've done, said, or felt, and yet... You loved us. You demonstrated your love toward us in this. While we were still stupid sinners, Christ died for us. So we praise you for that truth today, Lord. We pray that you would help us lean into that truth and find rest in it. We are loved with an everlasting love. Love. We are called friend by you. May this energize us to be loved to others. May it energize us to look to you in every circumstance in our lives. We praise you for a 2023, Lord, where we were able to come together and celebrate and sing and worship and help as a community. May 2024 have the foundation of the reality that we are known and yet loved. Guide us into a new year of care and love for each other and love for you. In Jesus' name, amen.